If you'd like to turn to Mark chapter 8, please. If you don't have a Bible, just put up your hand and Jamie's got some Bibles there. Turn to Mark chapter 8 and we're going to start in verse 1. On Wednesday nights, uh, I'd mentioned, I've mentioned the last number of weeks, we've been working our way through this Gospel of Mark. And like the other Gospels that you find, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they go through the birth, the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's been wonderful just going through, taking the time just to go through a Gospel, line by line, and seeing how the story has been unfolding. Mark's uh, way of writing as he tends to get to the point, uh, he doesn't labour with many different words, he's, he's quite concise, and he moves through the story fairly quickly. So we've been finding sometimes in a Wednesday night there's quite a lot to take in, and it's been good just to spend time behind the scenes preparing it. And it is good when studying God's Word to, to go through and take everything in context, isn't it? To be able to understand what comes before it, what comes after it, and that's one of the one of one of the benefits of that Bible study we're, we're going through on Wednesday nights. But we're going to home into this passage here. A couple of weeks ago, we were on we were looking at this passage in the uh, in Wednesday nights. It's Mark eight, starting at verse one. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign, and, a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes to, but fail to see? And ears but fail to hear. And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? We pray God will bless his word to us today and help us just as we, we, we go through it. 
I want to think about this question that's on the screen there just now. Where do we stand in the crowd? Where do we stand in the crowd? We see first of all in this passage there's a, there's a crowd of people, a large crowd, we're told around about 4,000, that were surrounding Jesus. And if you look through the Gospel of Mark, or you look through any of the Gospels in the Bible, you find there are, there are often crowds following Jesus. Now why were they, why were they following Jesus? Well, Jesus first of all had remarkable teaching. He had the type of teaching that just shone, that it was clear that it was coming from God. And it drew people. They came to hear these words of eternal life that this man Jesus was speaking about because they knew there was something special about it. So first of all, crowds were gathering because of his teaching. Yes, it's true, there were miracles happening. But it's interesting, if you look at this particular passage, we appear to see a situation here where people have came for three days to follow Jesus and have been glued to him. They've been following him. They've also followed him to a place that's difficult to get to. Did you notice that there? It says, you know, there was some had came a long distance and this wasn't like modern day, jump in the car, drive 30 miles. This was a case of get your bag, walk in your sandals with very little supplies and walk across really difficult uh, conditions for days. So there's a large crowd in this, coming into uh, a long distance away from home and they've been with Jesus for three days. Now Jesus notices after three days that the people don't have anything to eat. Don't you think that's a lovely expression of the love of God? You know, the people are there, they're, they're listening to him, but Jesus is mindful of their individual needs. He's mindful that, you know, just read his words there, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Now the food they were initially coming for was Jesus' teaching. The word of God, no doubt, had drawn them to him. And the people, this crowd, it's important to note, they were genuinely, they were demonstrating faith. They were following Jesus. They were coming to him in response to looking at him for the answers. I've mentioned some of them had travelled a long distance. And now they'd run out of supplies. Have you ever been in that situation in life? We can all maybe relate to different circumstances to what it feels like when you've run out of supplies. That might mean we've run out of money. We could run out of all sorts of practical needs in life. It's not a good place to be, is it? It's not a good place to be. And maybe at times like that we think to ourselves, well, I'm in this crowd. Who cares about me? Do we feel like that sometimes? You know, in our society, how many people really care often when other people are doing without? The majority of the crowd don't particularly care. They didn't then and they don't particularly now. But Jesus showed a different quality. He showed a strong compassion for people and for their needs. So what can we learn from this, this part of the passage? Well, I would suggest that firstly we could, we could learn a lot from the crowd's attitude. Firstly, they weren't coming to Jesus because of what they could necessarily get in the practical sense. They were coming to Jesus because he had the words of eternal life. They were coming because they saw God in him. And they were willing to travel and commit themselves to take a step of faith to go and follow him. It cost something to, to, to step out and follow Jesus. And they, they did that. The scriptures tell us in Matthew 6.33 But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, sometimes we, we tend to get things all the way around in life, don't we? It's a natural thing. But a, a sinful thing. <laughs> we think about natural needs before we think about spiritual needs. We think about ourselves 
before we think about others and about God. But these people demonstrated they were getting things the right way around. They were seeking the kingdom of God. And now they were going to find out that all these other things that they would need would be given to them as well. So we can learn, learn from the crowd's attitude there. Secondly, we can learn that Jesus is fully aware of our practical needs. He's fully aware of them. And not only is he fully aware of them, he cares about it. He cares about you and I, about the things that concern us, about the things that we struggle with, when supplies are short and we don't know where the next supplies are coming from. He cares about it, he knows, and he cares. And when we place our trust in him like that crowd did, Jesus moves to respond to all these things. It was a crowd who believed. I was mentioning earlier on to the children that it can sometimes happen that we say, Lord, I really need this, or you know, I really need that really fancy car, or that bigger house, or something like that. But you know, praise the Lord, He doesn't always give us what we what we want, uh, because sometimes those things actually take us further away from God. Not that there's anything wrong with having a nice car and having a nice house. There's nothing really wrong with that. But God knows what's right for you. And he knows what's right for me. He knows the things that are going to bring us towards him and the things that are going to take us away from him. And just like a child, you know that if you say to a child, if I was to say to Bethany when she starts, she started eating sweeties, but if she starts eating a lot of sweeties, if I was to say your diet, morning, uh, noon and night, Bethany is going to be sweeties from Auntie Nancy. Uh, she's going to quickly find that that diet is going to destroy her body. It's going to destroy her life. And it's going to take her down a road that she's going to end up ill. And it's like that spiritually as well. If God was to just give all of the desires of our heart, do you know what? Half of the desires are sinful, aren't they? Really, if we're honest. Half of our desires are downright selfish. And if God was to give us that, it would be no good to us at all. It would just take us the opposite direction to him. Whereas he just knows the perfect timing. And even sometimes we're maybe saying to God, why is this not happening? Why am I asking you for this thing and this thing isn't happening? Do you know what? Sometimes it's not meant to happen. Sometimes we're meant to be spending a bit of time trusting God a bit and knowing that he will supply. What about those three days in the middle? So we say, right God, why does, you know, I'm in a hard situation just now. I've travelled out, I'm following you and I'm three days in. I'm warm in the heat of the day. I'm cold at night. I'm hungry. I'm out of supplies. Can we relate to that today? Sometimes we feel like that. And we say, God, where are you in the middle? I'm here, listening to your teaching, trying to follow your ways, and, and yet things aren't working out the way I would expect them to. But God's timing is perfect. He met a need at the right moment. He met the need. He responded to a need. And he supplied what, what, what was required to all who were following him. And I believe we can take that now. It's, we don't always understand how things happen in life. You know, We're not given all of the answers to... The whys and wherefores. Trusting God is a step of faith, isn't it? And sometimes we don't know why he takes us down a particular path. But we can trust him. We can trust him that he's got our needs at heart. And that he's able to meet them. And he will look after us. And help us along the way. Amen? I can relate to the the situation there. Even once you've believed. You forget (laughs) all the good things that God has done. You know, let's look at this next section there. The disciples can't figure out how the needs of these people are going to be met in a similar way to sometimes we can't figure out how needs that we have, our family or other people that we're concerned about, we think how are these needs going to be met 
But the disciples had seen miracles happen. We talked earlier on to the children about the five feeding the 5,000. But these disciples were there when Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And they're now confronted by a situation where there's 4,000, so there's less. And there's seven loaves and a few fish. So you would think that they, since they've seen something even more marvellous, in a very similar situation, Jesus provided for 5,000, that they could believe God for the 4,000. Wouldn't you? I would think so, but it's maybe just an illustration, though, that sometimes we're a, we're a bit thick-headed. <laughs> you know, and we forget the miracles that God has done in our life. You know, often you read in the scriptures and the Psalms, etc. When going through difficult times, take a wee look back at the faithfulness of God. Take a look back to the cross. Look at the things God has done for you. Who he is. What he's done. His character. Those times in the past you've reached out to him and you've thought, where's my help coming from? And you found your help came from the Lord. Just at the moment you needed it. Remember those times. All the way through the Psalms, if you read them. The Psalmist cries out in difficult times. He's saying, Lord, where are you now? But he's saying, but I remember. The last time. (laughs) When you did this. And then he remembers God's character. So what is God's character? God cares. God loves us. His position towards his people is love. Amen. It doesn't change that position. It doesn't change his his compassion and his care uh, for us. And that should give us a great encouragement. But the disciples forgot. And they've hit another problem. And they're immediately thinking back to natural things again. Where am I going to get enough uh, for these people let's just read what they said his disciples answered but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them Jesus Jesus said how many loaves do you have seven they replied he told the crowd to sit down on the ground and when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people and they did so they had a few small fish as well he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them the people ate and were satisfied Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. So Jesus took seven loaves. He gave thanks and broke them and distributed them along with some fish, which he did the same. And afterwards, after starting with seven loaves, there were seven basketfuls of leftovers afterwards. Amen? Isn't that amazing? Seven and seven. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than than we can ask or imagine. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So we see a problem there and we think, how can that need be met? And just like in that situation there, God not only meets a need, but he works such a miracle that it just overflows. (laughs) It's more than we ever thought. Has that ever happened to you? I'm not thinking about any particular situation in my own life, but I know that it's happened time and time again when God's answered just at the right moment, just at the right situation. And afterwards, when you look back, you know it was right. (laughs) Maybe at the time you didn't know, but you realise God moved you into a position you needed to be in. God provided something that you needed at that point in time, and you give him thanks for it. Amen? Maybe today... We've had these things happen in the past like the disciples, but we feel as if we've hit a mountain now. We feel at this point in time 
that there's something lying before us or something we're going through that we can't get through. Well, I believe in the authority of the Word of God. I can tell you, you can get through it with Jesus. Amen. No matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how remote you feel, he can bring you through it. So with a crowd who believed, secondly, we have a crowd coming in the next passage who didn't believe. If you look at verse 9, after he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. So we see Jesus moving away from this just wonderful, miraculous answer to to prayer, uh, answer to the need of the people. He moves away on a boat with the disciples and he comes into touch with these Pharisees. The Pharisees pop up all the way through (laughs) Um, if you read through the Gospels. And the Pharisees were a Jewish religious sect. So they were a particularly extreme version of the Jewish faith. And what I mean by that? Well, they were focused on ceremony, ceremonial rules and outward displays of things. So they would take time, for example, in the marketplace to do to wash their hands a lot of times and different things like that, ceremonially. And they, they would have added a lot of things in there that they would have said made them more spiritual. But in fact, God had never asked his people to do those things. They were, they were simply adding other rules and regulations and outward things um, that God had never asked. The worst point about it was that they got proud about it. <laughs> so their hearts were hard towards God. And all it, all it was really, in the end of the day, was an outward show. It was a series of rituals that they were, walk, they were going through, religious practices that weren't pleasing to God in any way. This group of Pharisees, because of their attitude and their hardness towards God and their way of thinking, um, came against Jesus and his teaching. And here they're coming against him, trying to test him. They're trying to disprove his ministry, really. They're trying to discredit discredit what he's doing. So when the Pharisees asked for a sign, why do we think that Jesus didn't respond to them and perform a sign or a miracle well firstly I would say that have a look at the Pharisees and do you think there was a genuine need they had when they said come and give us a sign Jesus or was this a superficial test was it a genuine need or was it a superficial test well I believe it was a superficial test and it was shown to be like that their motivation was, was, was just downright sinful. They were trying to disprove Jesus' ministry. They were wanting Jesus as well to put on some kind of show, demonstrating his power. And you know, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't put on some kind of display and a show for people. Just to prove who he was. Jesus responded in compassion and love to situations that needed a miracle. Amen? He responded in situations that required his help. And it did show his power to those who were willing to believe, but it came out of a genuine need, not out of one purely testing who he was. Jesus didn't need to prove who he was. He is who he said he was, the Son of God. So that was for, firstly, he didn't respond because it was, it was a superficial test. Secondly, do we think that the Pharisees were displaying genuine faith in God or were they displaying unbelief? 
we say, we might make a judgment on that. We can't really make a judgment on that because we don't know what's in other people's hearts. But you know, Jesus, as God knows, he knew what was in their hearts. He, 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 He just has that knowledge. God has that knowledge. And he knew that the Pharisees' hearts were hard towards God. He knew that they weren't being real. That they didn't believe in him, truly. In fact, their unbelief, their unbelief was what was driving them away and, and causing them to ask for things like signs from Jesus to prove that he was God. So how can we apply that particular message to us today? We may be thinking, well, that doesn't apply eh, to us today, but we need to all be careful that sometimes we don't get into religious mode with things and, and just expect God to do things for us. You know, you sometimes see bad examples in the church of Jesus Christ, of people saying, you know, come to Jesus and all X, Y and Z is going to happen to you. You know, and uh, all these other things. And, you know, we need to be careful with that type of uh, teaching as well. But we can also be affected by maybe other people who who say they're Christians and they maybe have views that are taking us away from, from the Word of God. We need to always measure any teaching we hear with what is in the Scriptures. And as we think about our society today, and we're not in a society where Christians, people who call themselves Christians, are not holding to the scriptures. Not holding to what the Bible teaches about certain issues. We mentioned the issue of uh, Christian marriage there. That's just one of the, the many issues that's in our society that even within Christians, people are not holding to the word of God. So we, we do need to uh, be careful with that. And there's also a danger just of focusing on religious practices. What do I mean by that? Well, you can get into the habit of saying, well, because I go to church, that's okay. I'm doing fine as a Christian. Uh, because I, 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 I sing songs or whatever. You know, those particular religious practices. If those things are just becoming a, a, a habit and just becoming an outward thing and the heart, your heart's not in it, then we're disengaging with God, aren't we? And God looks in the heart. He looks for a real engagement with him. So back to our question, where do we stand in the crowd? Jesus uh, leaves this scene with the Pharisees now because he's wanting to teach his disciples something. And I do believe that there's, a, there's an application and a teaching here for us today. If we're believers of trusting in uh, Jesus, things that we need to apply out of what's said here. <clears throat> and, and right away we've got a kind of a, a slightly comical situation occurring again to do with bread. Because the disciples have went on a boat journey. And I'm sure if uh, Bill went on a boat journey, as he often maybe does, I don't think he does, but I'm sure Bill would take plenty of supplies with him. I'm sure Bill would have like three coats, you know, two pairs of shoes, plenty of clothes, and, and tons of food, and all the supplies you would ever need. Yeah, very true. Uh, no, he probably wouldn't. <laughs> He'd probably just go with what he's got and nothing with him. But... The disciples had, had went into this journey across on a boat to the other side and you would have thought they would have probably taken some supplies with them, like food, that would help, wouldn't it? <laughs> but somehow, um, they've got one loaf <laughs> there for quite a number of them to have between them. And uh, there's, you can just imagine this wee bit of a panic going on in the boat. Who was it that forgot the loaves? <laughs> Bill, told you before, you don't remember and bring these things. <laughs> We're going on this journey and nobody's brought any supplies. And it seems a wee bit funny to me that they, they, they had seven uh, basketfuls of leftover bread. 
And somehow somebody's not lifted that and brought it. That's just a wee comment from me, but I just think it's quite funny that nobody thought about that. Anyway, they end up they end up in a situation uh, with no food supply. And uh, Jesus, again, you can imagine his frustration at this point in time. He's thinking, look what I've just done there. <laughs> I've supplied the needs of the people and there's the disciples. They're back thinking about their natural needs again. And they're not trusting in me. They're back to, I've only got a loaf of bread <laughs> for the journey. And he, he makes an interesting statement in verse 15. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now what does that mean? Well, yeast is an imagery used in the Bible um, a number of times in the Old Testament and continued into the, into the New Testament as well. In this particular case, the yeast of the Pharisees is pointing to, firstly, wrong teaching. So it's pointing to meaning wrong teaching that they were spreading, you know, like yeast in the dough spreads throughout and causes a reaction in the dough. If you imagine a crowd situation, the Pharisees would enter a crowd situation and start talking <laughs> about their teaching, their way of thinking, and they'd be looking, and that would spread, uh, they would try and spread their message throughout the crowd. And Jesus is saying, be, be very um, careful about that. It's dangerous teaching, is really what he's saying. And he's warning as well the disciples who were in the midst of these discussions with the Pharisees. So they were in the midst of this debate happening. He's saying, don't you be drawn into this. Don't you be affected. That's what I believe the scriptures is teaching us there. Don't be affected by the voices that are against the word of God. Don't let it come into your life. Don't receive it. The reference to Herod refers to a kind of political influence. It refers to King Herod um, himself, who wasn't a godly man who had killed uh, John the Baptist there at an earlier moment in time. Clearly someone that wasn't a particularly good uh, king, certainly not a godly king. And he had a lot of influence, as any king would, over the way things happened in society. And his way of thinking and his messages were permeating out in the same way as we get nowadays with political parties and lots of different things that can happen in society. So again, the reference here, I believe, is to say don't let the ways of the world affect you disciples don't let that yeast that's been spread about by these various influences in your society don't let it affect your faith because the disciples they had faith didn't they they'd responded to Jesus they'd followed him but then when they hit some of these difficult situations what happened? they had some voices coming at them the Pharisees the Herodians the society around about them challenging what they believed. And maybe maybe the thing is here, the, the disciples were being influenced as well by that. And this is part of the reason why their faith was going downhill at times. Can that not happen to us today? You're going along in your walk with, with Jesus and then something from outside hits you. Somebody challenges the word of God. Somebody challenges you and your faith. And you get discouraged. You start to think, are they right? And what they're saying. It starts to get into your thinking at times. And we need to, we're in a culture as well where there's just so much stuff happening in the media. You know, religious, social and political. You think of all the things that are being said in our society today. You think of the voices that are being spoken. The teaching that's happening that isn't godly. 
And even those who think they're not teaching, they're still teaching actually. Because <laughs> they have a view. And they're teaching something that's often against God. So we need to be careful. And again, you know, as I've said before, we need to test things against the word of God and make sure that we're not being clouded by uh, wrong thinking. Secondly, the yeast refers to, points to the fact that the Pharisees didn't really have faith. They didn't really have faith at all. <clears throat> Their hearts were hard. And they just replaced faith with a series of do's and don'ts. An outward display of something that wasn't real inside. And of course, the worst bit was they were trying to encourage others by spreading that message around. And this is the case today, as I've, as I've already said. I mean, if you're here today and you haven't taken the step of trusting Jesus as your Saviour, there is a challenge for us to seek out the truth of God's Word. Amen? We need to find the truth, and where we're going to find it is in the Scriptures. And I would encourage you, if you're not sure about anything um, to do with what I'm saying today, that you come and ask me about it. And even if we are Christians, maybe we're, we're still learning. We're still studying God's Word, and He's teaching us things about Himself that counteract the, the other messages that come at us in the world. Lastly, Jesus challenges his disciples in verse 17. He says, Do you not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do your eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to, fear, fail to hear? And don't you remember? I actually think there's an encouragement here for us as, as Christians at how patient Jesus is with his disciples. Isn't that encouraging? Because we know I know that there are times I just all too quickly forget the goodness of God and all that he's done and then we hit a problem and we just find, we just think that it's insurmountable does that happen to you? but God is patient with us, hallelujah (laughs) when we trust in Jesus when it's real, when it's a real faith not like the Pharisees but when it's real God keeps us he keeps us he is patient with us. He's slow to anger and abounding with love. See to anyone that comes to him, really comes to him genuinely. Even that one time in your life. The good news is, he's holding you on in his hands for the rest of your life and for eternity. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? And as we go through the ups and downs of life and we think, how did I forget? How did I let the Lord down here? How did I do that? The Lord picks us up, puts us on our feet, speaks his word to us and sends us out again. If we look at the disciples, we couldn't find much more motley a crew. <laughs> and that should be an encouragement to us all. They didn't have all the answers straight. They often didn't understand. They certainly failed him. And they certainly lacked faith at times. But you know what? Their hearts were right towards God. They saw him. They responded to him. And if we do that as Christians, we can still rejoice to know that every day his mercies are new. Amen? Amen. Do not let the devil discourage you in your Christian walk. By making you think as if God's not for you. God is for you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? So when thing comes against us, we remember that God is for us. Even when we look at ourselves and we think, how did I manage to mess up like that? What a wonderful God we serve. We've heard today about a crowd who believed and a crowd who didn't believe and we've heard a, a pretty important warning for us as believers not to be taken in by the messages of the crowd and not to be influenced uh, away from our faith in the Lord, not to be discouraged in our faith in any way which crowd are you in today? if we haven't trusted in Jesus then we're, we're in that crowd with the Pharisees 
regardless of what way we look at it, we're, we're against God. We're not in a right relationship with him and it's, it's, it's a challenge for us to respond to that. I'm going to just uh, look across. If you turn to Luke chapter 22, please, just as we close. Sometime after the events we've spoken about today, Jesus met for a Passover celebration meal with his disciples. And that's what we're going to read in Luke uh, chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after somebody took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Now, it's important to note this this story is very different uh, from the one we read previously. Why why is it different? Well, Jesus was using this uh, Last Supper or communion with his disciples to show that he was going to suffer and die and pay the price for their sins. He said, verse 15, before I suffer, I'm sharing this with you. In verse 19 he says, this, as he broke the bed, he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And, you know, the Church of Jesus Christ, we're going to meet around the table today, around communion, and it's one of the, the clear commands that Jesus gave to all of his disciples was to come around the table and meet in that way that he met there to remember him. And at this point, this was before he went, he, he went to the cross. You see, we've talked about a lot of needs today in in Jesus' meeting needs. But the most important need the disciples had was to be right with God. To have their sins forgiven. And that is the most important need of every man and woman and child. To be right with God and to have our sin. In order to be right with God, we must have our sins forgiven. And how how did that happen? Well, Jesus was on his way to die a cruel death on a cross. His body was broken for you and broken for me. And he bore the punishment for our sins on that cross. And there Jesus also took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood which is poured out for you. So when Jesus went to the the cross, he shed his precious blood for you and for me. And this is what the scriptures call the new covenant. Jesus was becoming the once and for all time sacrifice on the cross for the whole of the world. Isn't that tremendous? We can never hear that enough. That's the central part of the good news of Jesus Christ. That he went to the cross to pay the price for our sins. And the new covenant is when we trust in him. And believe in what he did for us on the cross. Our sins are are washed away. And we're we're made right with God. That shedding of blood was really important. In Hebrews 9 uh, verse 22 it says. And without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. 
In Romans 6, uh, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a sacrifice Jesus has made for us. When he was there in the remote place, he provided for the physical needs of the people. And that was important. But he was on the way to the cross to provide for the spiritual needs of all mankind. Hallelujah. And when his body was broken for us, that opened a way for us to be made whole and right with God. And when his blood was shed for us, it made a way for us to be forgiven for our sins. And again the challenge is do we believe that or not? Have we responded to that or not? Our responsibility isn't to work harder like the Pharisees did. That's not faith. That doesn't get us right with God. Our responsibility is to believe, to trust in God and receive the gift of eternal life. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, your word to us today. I thank you for every person here, Lord God. And we do pray that you will, you will help us to apply your word to our lives today in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, that you love us so much that you went to the cross to pay the price for our sins. And we do pray, Lord, that everybody here today, we would all know that truth and receive that truth and, and also receive the truth that you are there for us and walking with us through our life and that you are, you are there as our strength and our help. I just pray, Lord, you would help us in our faith as well. You help us to trust you. Help us to pray. Help us to call out to you. I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. And to know that there are miracles that happen when we do that. We give you thanks and praise, Father, for your, for your uh, goodness to us. In Jesus' name. Amen.